Welcome to Ear Crush, the Friday podcast for people who love listening to great stories. My co-host this week is once again international best-selling author Craig Martell. In this week's show, we discuss the first story we're going to hear today, which is The Forsaken Called Joseph. And the show opens with me asking Craig to set up that story for us. After I got my law degree, I was hired as a business consultant, and my first job was at uh, Newport News in the shipbuilding industry. Well, it's right next to Williamsburg, Virginia, so we got an annual membership, and we went up to Williamsburg every other weekend and just hung out, and I loved that area. So uh, Joseph, uh, a forsaken, a long-lived vampire creature, uh, I, I set him into Williamsburg, Virginia, and, uh, and the colonial era, and so I wrote this story from that perspective, and uh, it, I, I love it because I can visualize it so well. All right, so we're listening to audio versions of these, and they're narrated by Kate Rudd, who did the entirety of the Terry Henry Walton Chronicles and is doing all of the Bad Company series. Are you a person who ha- who listens to audiobooks? Because I know a lot of authors don't like to listen to their own words. I do not, simply because I don't have the bandwidth to download them. Where, where I live, I have limited download capability. So, What's been the feedback of the people that – of your fans to the audiobooks in the, in the various series? I, I think they like them. I, I haven't heard a bad word, but I have to say I have, really haven't heard good words either. I, I don't know. I've heard people say, yeah, I love all your books. I've got them on audio, but that's, that's about the extent of it, not, uh, hey, it's overwhelming. It's a great experience. I, I listen in my truck while I'm driving or whatever it might be. So actually, it's almost like I, I don't hear anything. It's interesting. Um, the idea of the interaction between the author and the reader seems to be much more vibrant, and, and there are these communities on Facebook where this communication happens, uh, and there really isn't anything like that that I've seen for audiobooks. It's just I have, I have seen people say when we went to um, The Bad Company and, and people saw that Kate was going to narrate that, they were excited that Kate was going to continue to do it because they loved her work, but there is no – communication like a story-by-story communication the way there is on Facebook for the various stories. I I don't know why that is, but it's an interesting difference. And that's one of the reasons we're doing this show is is to try and find a way to communicate with the people that listen and love to listen to, to audiobooks. That, that's a great idea. You guys are great at uh, at trying to explore that and find that uh, the way to contact and touch the readers better. Because I would love to, like this, just talk about, hey, here's this story. Here's what I was thinking when I wrote it, and and keep it all in audio so you can listen to it while you're driving, while you're uh, doing something else, cleaning the house, while you're uh, barbecuing, whatever you're doing. Uh, uh, you can listen to the stories and, and get engaged and engrossed in the stories. And the market for audiobooks is is growing like crazy. The latest numbers I saw uh, up in New York is there's the the year over year gains like 22 23% something like that massive in unit sales, not just gross revenues but unit sales. Uh so it is it is massive and people it's not taking away from reading either because the people that listen to a lot of audiobooks also read a lot of a lot of audiobooks and and numbers that are just exponentially higher than the general population. So it's a great market and and we're just we're thrilled to be able to provide the ear crush service to to people, the podcast to people so that they can listen to these stories. Uh we hope you like the narration and we'll try some of the audiobooks, but if you 
if you're not an audible person and you don't listen to audiobooks, you don't have the budget, whatever, just keep listening here and we'll keep you entertained. Give it a listen and enjoy. All right, here is The Forsaken Called Joseph by Craig Martell, narrated by Kate Rudd. The Forsaken Called Joseph, 1775, John Joseph Dixon. A good morning to you, Mr. Purdy, Joseph called happily, tamping his pipe as he stood outside the small building where the printing business was located. As usual, John Joseph Dixon was covered head to toe with a wide-brimmed hat, always shielding his face from the sun. He wore the most stylish gloves because he was an adherent of modern fashion and flaunted his London contacts when packages addressed to him arrived on the latest ship. And a fine morning it is, Mr. Dixon, Alexander Purdy replied before looking up and down the dusty street in front of his shop. We'll be meeting at Charlton's Coffee House to discuss important matters round 11. I trust you'll come. Alexander Purdy was not a large man, but he was of sturdy frame. One of his tasks was to carry bundles of blank print and barrels of ink from carriage to shop. From recorder to journalist to printer to workhand, he did it all. He impressed the ink onto the blank page to share the latest news of the era, news carefully worded to cultivate attitudes and grow the disdain for British rule. Charlton's Coffee House. Was it only last night I was in Charlton's Tavern? Methinks it is one and the same kind, sir. Joseph jousted. Smile lines wrinkled around Purdy's eyes as he laughed. His cheeks turned brighter red. He was an older man, a widower with grown sons. His printing business had recently been appointed the public printer with the responsibility to print the laws of the Virginia colony. He was proud of that contract, even though his rival, Rind, had to die before the honor was bestowed on Purdy. You are right, of course, Purdy replied. A well-educated man interprets what he sees as his reality versus what he is told to believe. Ever since that stamp tax debacle of 67, Coffee houses have received such bad press. Nicely stated, my friend, Joseph replied, using a nail to tamp his tobacco as he dragged hard on his pipe to keep it lit. To no avail. Damn, the new crop smells like heaven, but it is not quite ready. Last year's leaf is failing me, Joseph complained, turning his pipe over and tamping it against the heel of his boot to dump the smoldering ash on the ground. I don't have anything this morning, but tomorrow I'll need your help, Mr. Dixon. Thank you for selling me your share of the business and for your continued help. I haven't been the same since Mary passed. William has come of age, but he doesn't love the work. Not like you or I. Regardless, we are in good places, my friend, are we not? I could not agree more, Mr. Purdy. It is best for all. Tomorrow at nine, then, Joseph asked. Eight? We will have much to print. Purdy offered his hand and Joseph took it, shaking warmly, but with far less than his full strength. Joseph remained on the Duke of Gloucester Street as Purdy returned to his shop. The hunger burned within. Joseph's secret was dark and tugged at the edges of his mind. All the time, he fought with it, but knew it would not be long before he had to feed. Blood was the only answer. 
Joseph shivered. There had been quite the stir in Williamsburg the last time he fed on a calf too close to town. Word traveled quickly by way of too many wagging tongues. Those upstarts who ran Pasteur and Galt apothecary shop knew that the calf's death had not been natural. They didn't believe in witches and searched hard for an alternate answer. While the town's leaders crossed themselves, the apothecaries had rolled up their sleeves and gone to work, studying the facts without making suppositions. They learned that the calf's blood had been drained, even finding the marks where Joseph's extended canines had found the jugular. But the leadership was quickly distracted by the churn of events, the inflammatory words of the young rebellion. The speeches and letters of Jefferson, Monroe, Henry, and Lafayette. Two months had passed since Patrick Henry addressed the Second Virginia Convention in Richmond, where they had met because it hadn't been safe in the capital of Williamsburg. Joseph had gone and watched. They'd met in a church and talked, endlessly they talked, but called for action. Patrick Henry was like a caged animal, ready to be released into the wild. He said what he had to say, finally, and then they returned to their communities and their homes. Henry's words resonated with Joseph, and he felt their power. They reflected his own internal struggle. He remembered the speech well. They tell us, sir, that we are weak, unable to cope with so formidable an adversary. But when shall we be stronger? Will it be the next week? Or the next year? Will it be when we are totally disarmed and when a British guard shall be stationed in every house? Shall we gather strength by irresolution and inaction? Shall we acquire the means of effectual resistance by lying supinely on our backs and hugging the delusive phantom of hope until our enemies shall have bound us hand and foot? Sir, we are not weak if we make a proper use of those means which the God of nature hath placed in our power. Three millions of people, armed in the holy cause of liberty, and in such a country as that which we possess, are invincible by any force which our enemy can send against us. Besides, sir, we shall not fight our battles alone. There is a just God who presides over the destinies of nations, and who will raise up friends to fight our battles for us. The battle, sir, is not to the strong alone. It is to the vigilant, the active, the brave. Besides, sir, we have no election. If we were base enough to desire it, it is now too late to retire from the contest. There is no retreat but in submission and slavery. Our chains are forged. Their clanking may be heard on the plains of Boston. The war is inevitable, and let it come. I repeat it, sir. Let it come. It is in vain, sir, to extenuate the matter. Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war is actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? What is it that gentlemen wish? What would they have? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take. But as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Joseph knew that he would forever be a prisoner within his own body, afraid to die, 
while being afraid to live. It was his cursed life for him to make the most of. He chose a direction and followed it, the road out of town toward the coast. He walked briskly and when out of sight of the townspeople, he started to run, far faster than any human should have. He slowed when he felt them ahead. British military, coming to join the garrison in Williamsburg. He dodged off the road, finding a place to hide, and he waited. When they passed, he saw in their minds that soon they would stop and rest before entering Williamsburg. He followed them, quietly, as the silent predator he had become. They stopped and sat by the side of the road. I need a crap, one of them told his fellows to their catcalls and laughter. He ventured into the woods, finding a secluded spot to take care of business. He leaned his musket against a tree, hanging his harness from it. He unbuttoned his red jacket, folding it and setting it respectfully on the ground. The soldier undid his trousers and started pulling them down when Joseph struck. The forsaken gripped the man's chin and viciously yanked it backward until the neck bones strained, threatening to break. He bit deeply and drank fully while the man flailed, unable to scream. When Joseph was done, he gagged at the thought of what he'd done, but reveled in the power it gave him. He looked at his victim, a soldier, with his pants around his ankles, the indignity of it and a horrible way to die. Joseph leaned the man against the tree, pulled some nearby nightshade from the ground and stuffed it in the man's mouth. The apothecaries would not be fooled as they knew what poisoning looked like but it was the best Joseph had at the moment. The Forsaken headed deeper into the woods, taking the long way back to town. He wanted to meet with the good people at the so-called coffee house. He could use a fresh cup. Joseph hoped that Thomas Jefferson would be there. The redhead had a way with words that never failed to make Joseph marvel. He enjoyed their spirited discussions. Give me liberty or give me death. Joseph told the silence of the woods' darkness. I shall have neither, but maybe you can, good people of Virginia. That was A Forsaken Called Joseph by Craig Martell and narrated by Kate Rudd. That same dynamic duo is the source of our second story today as well, The World According to Clovis. The World According to Clovis So many people. I love people, the dog thought. Hear me roar in joy. The coonhound puppy barked and barked until he was picked up. Wow, I sing the song of my people and someone picks me up. Look at that food. I love being picked up. Shh, little puppy. Look at those big eyes. Who's a good boy, said a woman with blue eyes and a silver streak in her otherwise black hair. Who, I have to know, who's a good boy? Clovis asked, whimpering, engrossed in anticipation. Oh, have to pee. Ah, all better now. Where were we? Clovis, the pretty young woman said, holding the puppy at arm's length as she looked at the wet spot on her pants leg. Wow, look at that sandwich. That little boy has a sandwich. Put me down, Clovis thought, 
Almost in response, he was set gently on the ground. He bolted like greased lightning. At least that was what he thought, as he stumbled and tripped his way to the proffered sandwich. With one final super dog leap, he cleared the final blades of grass. His dog mouth wrapped around the sandwich, and his terrifying assault ripped the sandwich from the young boy's grip. He started to cry. Clovis gulped the sandwich down. Sandwich and play, I love people. An older woman started to chase him, and he ran, dodging under a table, among chairs, and between legs until she gave up. Shoo, you mangy cur! Another dog. Where'd you come from? Clovis growled and snapped, prancing back and forth in challenge to his fellow canine. The wolf bitch raised a paw and smacked the puppy on the head. Oh! Clovis cried and started to whimper. What did you do that for? Go away, she told him. I want to be big like you, Clovis said, happy once again. The surprise and pain of being on the wrong end of a wolf's paw long forgotten. Clovis, the pretty young woman called. The dog looked around but couldn't see her. When he turned back, he had to dodge out of the way as the wolf tried to pee on him. Hey! Clovis squatted and peed in the same spot to add his mark to the wolf's stench. What did you get into? Clovis looked back to see two hands wrap around his sides and pick him up. Her round human face came close and sniffed. His tongue lashed out and caught her nose. She tickled his nose back. He liked her. Clovis licked her fingers. He tasted jerky, which reminded him he was hungry. Clovis thought the ledge had been lower. He'd always jumped onto it without issue, but it just seemed higher today. Come on, boy, the tall and dark-skinned man called. He was heading to the barn where he kept some of the cows. It used to be fun chasing the cows, but then the human all the yelling. It was still worth it. After getting kicked, Clovis decided that maybe his humans were right. He panted as he loped after the man. It was just them while the others were gone. Did they leave yesterday? Maybe months ago? Clovis couldn't remember. The females had their work, and the males had their manly work. Clovis chose the manly work, in the pasture with the cows. Auburn looked at Clovis's graying face. We need to build you a ramp, don't we, old boy? He asked. Clovis cocked his head one way and then the other. He wasn't sure what the man was saying, but he talked all the time. Clovis listened because it was his job. The female had said so. The barn was packed with cattle. Auburn moved them to clear the way so he could get past. Clovis stayed on his heels. It's about time, isn't it, girl? He asked the cow struggling with labor. Crimson was there, Alabama's boy. He had been there all along and whistled as she got close. Auburn wanted to be there at the birth just in case. Crimson was still training. He hadn't seen it all yet. Clovis stared at the process. He stood, mouth slack as he watched. He'd seen it before but it always amazed him how cows could poop out baby cows. 
Clovis always looked and sniffed at his butt, wondering why he never produced a puppy. He figured that he wasn't eating the right stuff. Auburn was relaxed and calm, which made Clovis calm. The calf was born without issues, and the big man cleared the way so they could leave. He didn't go to the house, though, but the stable, where he hitched the horse to their car. He waved for Clovis to jump in, but it was too high. Clovis whimpered. I'll just run alongside if that's okay, he thought. You ride up here with me, the nice man said, getting down to pick Clovis up and put him up front. I can see the whole world from up here, he exclaimed as he sat on the padded bench next to the human. The ride was fraught with danger and adventure, as Clovis imagined crazed beasts attacking from all sides. He barked at them as the man rubbed his back and held him close. The cart rolled into the main community of North Chicago, and Clovis's favorite spot, the park where there were always other dogs and people, children mostly. He loved the children. When the cart stopped, Clovis leaned over the edge to jump down. Hang on, boy, the man said kindly. He got down first and walked around to where he could get a good grip and lower the old coonhound to the ground. Clovis wagged his tail furiously. He loped away, looking for something to eat, but he heard a voice. The musical voice of the one with glowing blue eyes. He hoped she had some jerky. She did last time he saw her. Was that yesterday? It didn't matter. Even yesterday was forever long ago. He saw her, there with the others, his whole pack. Holy crap! He ran toward them. Reveling in his speed, he leapt for her. A big man stepped in the way and caught Clovis. Hey, buddy, Terry said, holding Clovis close. Terry leaned close to Cordelia so Clovis could lick her face. When are you going to train this dog? And that's it for this week's edition of Ear Crush. Hey, if you like the show, please subscribe using your favorite podcast app. And be sure and join us again next week when we'll hear more from Terry Henry Walton.